Hello and welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Joining myself, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes, and Mr. Keith Miller, as we both continue through our odyssey of reviews, trying our best to get caught up. We're recording this at the end of March, but most importantly, we're finishing off January with these reviews tonight. So, uh, delighted to be uh, joined on the line as always by Mr. Keith Miller. How are you, sir? I am dead on. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm really enjoying I think here in, in Northern Ireland since last last weekend, last week we had uh, St. Patrick's Day. I think we we recorded, didn't we, on St. Patrick's Day? And uh, and uh, since then the weather has been glorious. Uh, so uh, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a sun bunny, you know, rather than uh, rather than uh, autumn and winter. Uh, and uh, definitely seeing the seeing the good weather has uh, has perked me up. No, not that I'm not ever perky. I'm sure you'd agree. <laughs> I would agree with that wholeheartedly. But yeah, there's just something about the sun being out. I think it just puts a smile on most people's faces. And, you know, last couple of years have been bad enough. So it's nice to see smiles all around. But it suddenly makes sense now why you've fully caught up on your reading because you have that lovely back garden in your house now. And, you know, you've nice pile of comics, nice sun. That sounds good to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the first for the first time this week, I mean, this is uh, the day after New Comic Book Day, but... Uh, for the first time this week, I was able to go into the shop on New Comic Book Day with nothing left of previous pull lists to read, pick up my, my pull list and, uh, and, and read a, a new issue in good faith on the train on the way home. Nicely done, nicely done. But yeah, before we get to those ones that you're picking up yesterday, we still have a couple of months to catch up. But we are making good progress, I think. So uh, we're going to close off January of 2022 today with our honourable mentions, our picks of the week. And uh, again, there's some great stuff here to to showcase. So, uh, so 26th of January, I had 25 titles in total. Uh, it was quite a weird mix for me, actually. DC was the most, which although I get accused of being Mr. DC all the time, very rarely happens because it's usually mostly indie. But 10 DC this week, I had 6 Marvel. I had 9 indie. And then I just have a wee note here as well. I had a variance pack. And what that was was... David Mack, who's an artist that I really, really like, is doing a brand new set of covers for Something That's Killing the Children. Uh, obviously, with Vicky and I saving for a house, I, I sold off all my first print set, but I wanted to make sure I still had a single-issue run of Something That's Killing the Children, so I've been collecting these variants instead, which are absolutely gorgeous. So uh, 15 of them have been released so far. So yeah, 25 titles total for me. Jeez, you have me beat this week. I do, with a, a grand total of 32. Uh, I'm sitting on 10 DC, the same as your good self, um, and I wonder, is that the same 10 DC? Um, I have 13 Marvel, so more than twice your number of Marvel, and same as you on Indy, uh, with 9. So uh, so I'm beating you there by having a, a, a crap load more Marvel. I mean, if you want to put crap that close to Marvel, that's up to you, but... <laughs> You said it, I didn't. It was just a colloquialism, <laughs> a turn of phrase. Well, this is true. But yeah, we're as ever, we're going to break down this week into honourable mentions and picks of the week. And, you know, just in case it's your first time with us, always welcome. But uh, we always go into minor spoilers with the honourable mentions, but usually major spoilers with a pick of the week. So given the, the sheer volume of Marvel you had, I'm sure you're going to kick things off with a Marvel honourable mention. Yeah, actually, my, my honourable mentions are fairly Marvel heavy uh, this week. 26th of January was just... A big Marvel week in terms of numbers and quality, I would say. Um, and uh, not least on that list of quality was the finale of uh, the death of Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, death of Doctor Strange number five. Uh, so it was a five issue mini. Jed McKay and uh, Lee Garbett uh, bring to a close what 
is certainly one of the most entertaining Doctor Strange tales, I think, in recent memory. It's a brilliantly balanced story with some great surprises throughout and a lot of really heartfelt moments. Um, there's some great action in the issue as well. Uh, and like everything that McKay puts out, it's it's a big character piece and the story builds to a wonderful and bittersweet conclusion. Lee Garbett, you know, has delivered throughout the series, sort of making the characters look really great. Uh, his style is perfect for both the character moments and the big action moments as well. And, you know, one of the, the interesting things is that, you know, one of the characters is is drawn from, you know, the the 60s and uh, his, his his mimicking of, of uh, you know, Kirby or Ditko's style <laughs> on that character is really is really fantastic. Um, so, yeah, The Death of Doctor Strange, number five, closes the book on this Sorcerer Supreme's legacy, for now at least, whilst charting the path for a new age of magic in the Marvel Universe. This has been one of the best Doctor Strange stories I think I've I've read in a long, long time. And if you're looking for something featuring that very Doctor before the death of the, the, the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, then I'd say you couldn't go too far wrong with this one. I think that's definitely a fair point. I mean, I'm not a big Doctor Strange reader. I missed some of the previous uh, runs, things like, what was it, you had Sorcerer Supreme, you had Surgeon Supreme, a few mm. different ones in there. But, but I jumped straight into this, and yeah, it was... I think that Jed McKay is a great writer because he's great at deep cuts, but he's great at being accessible for new readers as well. So it was very easy to jump into. It was satisfying the whole way through. It was a really good uh, choice of artist with Lee Garbett as well. You know, I loved his work in uh, Shadecraft, which was an excellent uh, image title. So, mm. yeah, this is definitely one to pick up. And, you know, with, with obviously us doing these, you know, with, with hindsight and it being a little further along, this has actually hit trade now. There's two different trade paperbacks. You've got The Death of Doctor Strange, which is the one to five. But you've also got A Death of Doctor Strange uh, Companion, which includes things such as the the Spider-Man tie-in, the X-Men Black Knight tie-in, things like that, which was one I know you spoke very highly of. So, yeah, well worth jumping into. And as you say, good preparation before uh, Multiverse of Madness comes our way later mm -hmm. this year. So that was Keith's first honourable mention. Uh, I'll jump over to the DC side of things and... This is one that was actually pushing for pick of the week material, I have to say. I thought this was fantastic. It was a, a one-shot special, Superman Robin, uh, number one. It was written by Peter J. Tomasi, art mostly by Victor Bogdanovich, though there were a couple of fill-in artists and a few pages here and there as well. And, you know, you don't really see Superman Robin special a lot because, obviously, John has aged up now. You used to see the Super Sons when it was the younger Jonathan Kent and the da younger Damian Wayne, of course. So it's great to see the Super Sons reunited and it's great to see that it's under the tutelage of Peter J. Tomasi because he just understands these characters. It is it is a character dynamic. It can be a little tricky to pull off now as these legacy characters were always around the same age until, as I say, uh, Bendis aged John up and now he is a fully grown adult compared to Damien's teenager. But if there's someone you trust to get a good story out of these two, it, it's definitely Tomasi. So... With this being a one-shot, it focuses mostly on John and Damien teaming up once again to snare a creature that's escaped the magic cube, which was kept in the Fortress of Solitude. You know, there's an especially fun scene leading up to this emergency, actually showing how Damien knew about it before John, which, which I thought was great. Uh, John has tangled with this, uh, this magic cube on a number of occasions, including, I don't know if you remembered or if you would have read it, there was a great two-parter as uh, Jonathan and Clark ended up on Dinosaur Island. 
Yes, yes, fantastic. Yeah, really, really good stuff. So he's tangled with this before, but this time it's released a strange creature that's rapidly aging and and growing and causing chaos everywhere it goes. So that's the why of the issue. But you know, the reason I enjoyed this so much is it's the characters that hit home best. You know, there's that great central relationship between John and Damien, which is always a delight. It's it's at times playful, other times it's competitive, other times it's snarky. In other words, they're brothers in all but name. Uh, but there's also some great scenes in this that I don't think I was fully prepared for between like Lois and John that tug on the heartstrings as Lois bemoans the fact that she feels like she's missed out on John growing up and she's essentially had those formative years stolen from her as well. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's another great scene as well between John and Damien where they talk about you know, the father-shaped hole in their lives right now. You know, Damien hasn't spoken to Bruce in quite some time. Clark is off-world. And Damien admits that it that it hurts him. Though, of course, he does say, I'll never repeat that to anybody else. So. <laughs> I think, you know, the just you're saying about Lois bemoaning, you know, missing John growing up, especially in light of what uh, of what John revealed to, uh, to Dick Grayson in a fairly recent issue of Nightwing, mm-hmm. you know, about how some of that time was spent uh, and he hasn't revealed to his mother or father, or in fact Damien, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of, I guess, the tragedy of that. Uh, it makes it even more poignant. Yeah, I mean, you could almost see him revealing it to Damien before family as well, because, as I say, they just have this great brother relationship. So, mm. But yeah, just all in all, I thought it was just a great feel-good issue. It was really nicely drawn by Bogdanovich, although his similarity to Capullo will always be a little eerie to me. I'm half convinced that it's, you know, Capullo under a pseudonym. <laughs> but yeah, fast-paced, full of great character moments, highly recommended. I'll be curious to see if this gets collected in any way, because, you know, there's not really a, a graphic it, it slips seamlessly into. It could go in a Robin graphic novel. It could go in Superman, Son of Kal-El. But I don't hmm. know if it'll fit in either. So this might just be a single-issue one-shot, but it's definitely well worth picking up. Lovely. Well, I will swing back towards the Marvel end of the pond here um, with X Lives of Wolverine number one. And uh, Joshua Kassara teased this book whenever we were lucky enough to interview him some months back. And his teasing was accurate (laughs) as we kick off into the first issue of what's billed as the most epic Wolverine story of all time. And Wolvie has had some epic tales. Um, However, with Benjamin Percy in charge, I'm tempted to believe the hype. Um, And it's clear that Percy isn't screwed around. I mean, if if number one of this is any indicator of where this event is going, then I, I think, you know, we're definitely down for, for something really special. Kassara, I mean, maybe I'm saying it because he's such a nice guy, but I don't think so. <laughs> uh, he's the driving force behind the the nature of this story, which is pure, like, kick-ass and explosive. Um, his, his illustration is really, really vivid and brings all the violent action to life and you know he's 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 really detail oriented you know and that 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 detail sort of really as i say drives this issue at one point there's there's this panel with a pregnant woman holding a newborn still connected to her in one arm and a shotgun on the other i mean <laughs> if that's not the definition of of a badass i'm not sure what is um but the just at this stage appears to be a little quantum leap meets days of future past. Uh, so you're, you're, you're pressing all my buttons here. Uh, present day Logan, as in Krakoan era Logan, is being, I would say, I think, leapt back with the help of Jean and Professor Xavier to occupy 
his mind to occupy his past selves in order to protect Xavier and and his his um, uh, his, his ancestors uh, in the past from what appears to be an attack of a, a an equally time jumping Omega Red, and I mean if that's the case, Logan has had such a a long and varied life. You know that there's there's a lot of stuff to touch upon, and given the name, I'm assuming you know, given the name of the book, I'm assuming that we will touch upon ten different Logan-centric time periods throughout this uh, throughout this. And you know, next week we have the first issue of X Deaths of Wolverine, so I'm interested to see how they pair up. Uh, this first issue, you know, was absolutely brilliant, and I'm I'm really, as I say, starting to starting to believe the hype. Yeah, I mean, I've got this. Still all collected. I haven't even opened this shit. I've got all ten issues sitting there. I collected a variant set of them. I think it was like trading card variants or something like that. The different looks of Wolverine over the over the years. But yeah, it's nice to see this mystery project come to life, as you say, when we chatted mm-hmm. to Josh Kasara, he couldn't <clears throat> pardon me, he couldn't quite tell us what it was uh he was working on, but we didn't have to wait too long to find out. So yeah, yeah I must jump into this and I know you've spoken highly of future issues of it so i'm sure we will circle back to it in a future pod as well so speaking of circling back i will always circle back you're probably bored listening to me about it but you know what we're in the home stretch now so you won't have to listen to me much longer so deadly class number 50 hit this week so of course written by rick remender art by wes craig this is essentially my monthly attempt to get keith to read all of deadly class and i i know i'll wear him down eventually but uh, whenever whenever it's done i am on it <laughs> so yeah another month another great issue you know as it hurtles at top speed towards its conclusion so again we've done a time jump here so we're continuing to explore the adult relationship between marcus and saya you know we had the revelation last issue that marcus has been hired to double cross saya and essentially lead her to the slaughter but will he follow through with it or will their past relationship play a part and if marcus actually saves saya instead of double crossing her can he save his own soul you know, does Saya actually need saving? You know, it's just, it's another brilliant issue. It's filled with tons of fantastic art, frantic action scenes, great character development, and a brilliant conclusion that you may not actually necessarily see coming, but fits perfectly in tone with the series. I've said it a million times before, I'm not ready for this series to end, but if they continue to operate at this level, and why wouldn't they, then we're in for a very special conclusion to an already iconic series, so... Yeah, Deadly Class 50, another superb issue. But away from the indie and back to the Marvel. Yeah, another Marvel title for me. That's three for three. Um, Avengers Forever number two is a very solid second issue of Jason Aaron and Aaron Cooter's multiverse hopping Avengers title starring Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider and a Deathlock. Uh, it's not necessarily a hopeful issue, this, as the two spend most of it being tortured at the hands of the Black Skull, who is the Red Skull bonded with the Venom symbiote. Um, but the issue builds to some of the hints that Aaron has sort of sprinkled about Ghost Rider and how Robbie may be more special than, than any other Ghost Rider. Uh, you know, he's, he's been sprinkling these hints throughout uh, his, his Avengers run. It also hints towards how this may be the start of a multiversal uprising of heroes. And there's a really slow burn here, a slow build up to it. And it really feels, it really feels worthwhile, but I'm really looking forward to some full on metal forever avenging in the very near future. Um, given my love of the original Avengers forever, 
Uh, it's one of the most important Avengers titles of all time, I would think. Have you ever read it? I have not. No. Well, that's uh, that's something that we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to address. Uh, but given that and, and the great stuff that uh, Jason Aaron is doing on the core Avengers title at the minute, which if you're not on, get on, as well as Aaron Cooter's detailed art, I am all in for this. Well, I'm sorry to say that you're all in on this on your own because I'm not reading this because we didn't have enough uh, copies of issue one when it came out. It was a strange one because Avengers sells pretty well in the store, but there weren't a lot of pre-orders for this. And that surprised me given, you know, Jason Aaron's pedigree, given it was sort of a, a sister title to the main one. So we didn't order loads and loads of it in. But then, of course, as ever, it comes in and everybody wants it. So I never managed to, to snag one. But maybe when it hits straight paperback, you'll uh, you'll see my grubby little fingers on it. But until then, we're going to continue with the Marvel. And I think we're going to be on Marvel for a little while here. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up for me is Thor 21. So written by Donny Cates and art by Nick Klein, of course. And I've spoken so many times before about how when this creative team especially work on Thor, it elevates the title to another level. You know, the fill-in creative teams are good. It, it's never a massive dip in quality, but it's just these guys are on fire when they work together. So this issue is no exception. You've got Mjolnir has basically become alive. It's fully sentient and in charge, making its own devastating decisions. I'm about to start uh, butchering Thor's language, but it's destroyed the dwarves of Nidavellir. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The Davalier, whatever. Uh, yeah, the Frost yeah. Jansen Jotunheim. The Davalier, yeah, yeah. The Frost Jansen Jotunheim. Yeah, I'm good with Jotunheim because it's mentioned in the Thor movies a lot. And uh, now it's worked its way to the town of Broxton and Midgard. That's an easier one. No one is safe, not even <laughs> Thor. I usually highlight the art the most in this series because, again, I, I think it does get elevated because Nick Klein's on it. But I think the writing's especially strong in this issue. You know, Kate's is. I'm guessing this is an issue you really enjoy because Kate's is able to weave in threads from Jason Aaron's run as he explains mm-hmm. why Mjolnir has become this way, why vengeance and destruction is is pretty much at the heart of its motivation. But of course, I have to single out the artist as well because Nick Klein just knocks it out of the park. You know, from the the cover issue to everything in between the pages, the art is inventive. It's detailed. It's expressive. It's brutal and just really, really striking. I the first time I read this, I actually finished the issue and then I went straight back to the start and just ignored the ignored the dialogue and the scene descriptions you just you know enjoyed the art on a second pass through so yeah great cliffhanger as well perfectly sets up the next issue in the kate's klein era for me anyway just continues to go from uh strength to strength yeah and it uh even the you know the stuff about broxton um was really cool because it you know uh, made me think back to siege uh which was whenever asgard was you know floating over broxton and uh and uh you know, Norman Osborn was in charge of Hammer and was trying to take down Asgard and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's really, uh, really interesting stuff. So, he, as you say, he digs deep. He digs deep. Yeah, he definitely knows his Marvel history. You know, he he can get accused sometimes of being all style and no substance, Donny Kids, but, you know, that, that man knows his onions, as they say. <laughs> do, they, do they say that? I'm making it up if they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> good enough, good enough. So... Uh, from Thor to Spidey, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 87 is my next pick. And Jed, I'm all over Marvel at the minute, McKay. And uh, Carlos, Gomez, Carlos Gomez are on this issue of Beyond with Ben potentially on a downward spiral while Peter strives to get back in the saddle. Jed McKay is a perfect writer for strong character work, as we said earlier, and that's exactly what he delivers here. 
Um, the gist of it is that Black Cat enlists Captain America to help with Peter's re- rehabilitation. You know, who who who's a better drill sergeant than the man who was uh, who, who fought in World War Two? Um, and that leads to some great moments as they put Peter through his paces over a number of weeks of nights and allows McKay to depict Peter's vulnerability and that's mirrored by Ben's seeming vulnerability at the hands of the increasingly threatening and dodgy Beyond Corporation. Um, I think this issue has been one of the strongest of Beyond so far, um, despite not being big on the action. Uh, but the reason for that is is Carlos Gomez's art. You know, while he's familiar with Spidey, he he really shows his stuff in this issue because it's absolutely stunning. He totally nails facial expressions and everything else. And, you know, the art in this book, I think, is worth the price of entry alone. It looks so good. It's very light, very approachable. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Carlos, Carlos Gomez. Really good artist, actually, who may or may not come up in future uh episodes because i seem to remember writing that tape down for another issue so keep your ears peeled for that now i've just looked up oxford language dictionary and to know one's onions means to be very knowledgeable about something so this is not just me making up expressions excellent okay well well delivered well delivered (laughs) sir so uh yeah but we're going to stick with marvel again and again it's another title you're probably bored hearing me talk about but i'm gonna keep doing it and it's devil's reign number three was this week you know chip sadarsky of course writing marco chichetto on art and you know our monthly check-in with marvel's best event in years copyright alan taylor Issue 3 came out one day after it was announced that Chip and Marco will be the creative team on Daredevil when it relaunches with a brand new number one later this year. So, of course, this is old news now a couple months later. But Issue 3 literally came out one day after that was announced. So, we know that the character's in great hands and it also allows them the freedom to put the characters through the ringer, possibly go through lasting changes, knowing that they will be the ones continuing the story. I mean, I often find sometimes after events and... You know, creative lineup changes. New teams want to put their mark on a run so early that they can often make changes straight away. But it makes me really happy to know this won't be the case with Daredevil. So, so issue three. What's great about Devil's Reign, for me anyway, is that it is interested in the human element as opposed to the superhero element. This is not a title about invasions or otherworldly threats. This is this is about the very idea of being a superhero in New York City under threat as Kingpin has very much played the long game and gotten himself into a legal place of power, but of course still pulls illegal strings behind that. The issue opens up with a badly beaten Spider-Man being interrogated by cops, only for a great scene in which the Thing and Human Torch come to break him out. We have Luke Cage rallying the troops and putting out inspirational speeches as he decides to run for mayor. You've got Captain America, Miles Morales and Iron Man attempting to question Kingpin and his use of the Purple Man, especially in the sense that he used them to manipulate elections. And that's when the Doc Ox of other universes, the Superior Four, make their presence known and a big brawl breaks out. But this is no superhero beatdown. Rather, it's the opposites. The superheroes themselves are getting the beatdown. It's easily the biggest action scene yet in the series, and it's very impressively done. Only the fact that Doc Ox have so little regard or interest in killing them, they see them as flies, basically, you know, keeps them alive. So yeah, with issue three, we've reached the midpoint of the series, and for me, it just gets stronger. You know, it it may lack the four color wonder of King Kirby or the big action set pieces of Marvel events of yore, but it's right up my street. It's a series that just goes from strength to strength for me. I love the, I think the artwork is so strong. I think it's great to have the whole Marvel universe involved. And again, I just love that it's an event. You know, how many times can we see like New York is about to be destroyed or 
the world is going to end or whatever and, and it maybe lack a bit of power because you've seen it before and we have seen certain elements of this before with Civil War certainly but I think it's far enough removed from it that it, yeah. it just yeah. works you know it has that it has that tone it has that feel um, but yeah it's no thoroughly enjoying it I'm really interested to see if if we are going to see the downfall of, of Fisk as as mayor you know he's there's been some serious mayors of New York City J. Jonah Jameson followed by Wilson Fisk I wonder. Uh, I wonder is is Luke going to end up as the mayor? That would be really interesting. I mean, it would be. I mean, they they recently cancelled a three issue miniseries. They had Luke City, uh, Luke Cage, City of Fire. I think it was City called. City of Fire, yeah, yeah. And I think some of that elements were to do with you know the real life police brutality and stuff like that. Cause I think it was related mm-hmm. to that. But it'd be interesting if they took him off the board for that, and maybe they were planning something, as you say, with maybe him taking over as mayor. So. Mm. Definitely one to keep an eye on anyway, but I have no problem Fisk staying as mayor because he's just such an interesting character. <laughs> he really, really is. He really is. Always has been. Um, so we're going to stay with Marvel and stay with Devil's Reign, uh, and I'm going to pull out uh, Devil's Reign Winter Soldier uh, number one, which was uh, one shot by Marvel's up-and-coming dynamic duo, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. And this particular one shot, as I say, is a tie into Devil's Reign, uh, but not much more maybe than a name. Rather, it serves as a great character piece for Bucky Barnes, uh, incidentally one of my favourite Marvel characters, and is definitely for fans of both the Winter Soldier and the Kingpin. Wilson Fisk has files on everyone, every hero and villain, uh, has their information stored in folders in his mansion, identities, families, anything that, that Fisk can find out to give him an edge. But his folder on Daredevil is blank. His rage at this assault in his mind led to him declaring war on the superheroes of New York, and and uh, stealing the powers of the Purple Man. Um, in the dead of night, Winter Soldier breaks into the Gracie Mansion, hoping to recover the file that contains pieces of his life that he can't remember. But is it maybe the case that some of some of the secrets of, of Bucky's forgotten life are better left buried? It's a penchant, slow spy thriller with a with a, a battle in it that is brutal and engaging. And the pressure in this issue sort of mounts page on page. Uh, Nick Leon's art style is a perfect fit for the the espionage part of the comic. Um, you know, so many of the pages are shrouded in darkness, and you know, very very weighty lines that that sort of you know have you looking for what's going on in the panel. You know, through the shadows that are used to create sort of the silhouettes of, of figures and, and objects. But uh, yeah, a really a really fantastic uh, Bucky issue, I thought. Yeah, Bucky Barnes, the Jason Todd of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Though he is a far better character than Jason Todd, even I'll admit that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a beautiful looking issue. I'm a big, big fan of of Nico Leon. I mean, done stuff obviously you'll recognize from the likes of Fantastic Four, but is now doing Catwoman with uh, Teeny Howard. And yeah, just a really, really big fan of the art style. So, yeah, Did you read this book? I did indeed, yeah. I mean, anything... I'm similar to anything winter soldier on it i'll i'll jump straight on because it's it's a character you don't see an awful lot of uh in the in the current universe and obviously i'm going back at the moment reading through the the brew baker run on captain america which is going to lead into some very heavy winter soldier stuff now that mm-hmm. you know cap's been shot and killed spoilers oh my god uh so <laughs> in fairness there is a a complete book called the death of captain america so I don't think I come and held too much to account for that one, but yeah, I thought this was a really good tie-in. I think the, I think the tie-ins, the Devil's Reign, have been really good, and they've been actually quite 
different. You know, this this was a very Ooh. different book to the X Men one that we, you know, spoke very highly about. I read the Superior Four one as well, and I also read Villains for Hire. Villains for Hire is probably the weakest, but it's it's very it's you might like it actually because it's very Thunderbolty. Um, yeah, but so it's not my Thunderbolts. But it's not your Thunderbolts. This is true. So, but yeah, no, the the Titans were Devilsry, and I think one of the reasons I've enjoyed them so much as well is because there hasn't been tons of them. You've had mm. maybe four, maybe five series, and that's it. So, uh, yeah, another another notch on the belt for Devil's Reign in general as a well-planned-out series. So, believe it or not, after what seems like 92 titles, we're going to move off from Marvel and actually have a DC title up next. And I've already mentioned this character once. It's time to mention him again. So, next up is Robin number 10. So, obviously, talking about Superman Robin earlier, with this is the main title from joshua williamson and on this issue it's roger cruz on art and this series it's always been an action-packed series you know of course it has it's based around a fighting tournament but after the revelations of the previous issue and the additions to the algal lineage it's time to take a breather from the fighting and actually start getting some story elements weaved in and in that sense i thought this issue was was fantastic it's We've already had an issue with a more chilled out version of Ra's al Ghul earlier in the series, but make no mistake about it, his fire still burns. And he's got nothing if not a complicated relationship with his mother. You know, she's very much the focus of this issue. She details how the Lazarus pits have worked throughout time and, and also how she came to be on the island. You know, it's it's great to have depth added to the saga of the al Ghuls. We don't actually see them in ma- modern comics too often. You know, we have a great character in the grandmother. There seems to be a running theme here with great grandmother characters recently in comics, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Uh, because she's not a cackling, I want the world to end type villain. You know, she believes what she is doing is the only way to save mankind. Although the measures are, of course, extreme. But, but like any villain, she's the hero of her own story. In this issue, we have standoffs with uh, Ra's al Ghul, who is more a man of science than faith and doesn't subscribe to his mother's delusions, as he calls them. There's a great scene where she talks about when he was born that basically everybody said his destiny was to save mankind or destroy it. I just thought it was a great character development issue and it also raised the stakes a little bit more as well. So again, another series for me that goes from from strength to strength. Yeah, really enjoying uh, really enjoying Robin. Um, yeah, interesting that uh, Damien has an interesting relationship with his mother and Raz has an interesting relationship with his mother. <laughs> All mama's boys, I tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to swing us back towards Marvel again, Alan. 93 and counting. (laughs) For my final uh, honourable mention. Uh, And that's X-Men 7. uh, And I'm glad that I'm mentioning this again so soon. Uh, It's another standout issue of the core X-Men book by Jerry Duggan as he works to put that book exactly where it should be, which is right at the centre of the X-Men mythos. Um, This particular issue pairs beautifully with the previous issue in... A bit of non-linear storytelling of how Cyclops came to adopt the mantle of Captain Krakoa. And this issue shows us his death, his rather public death and subsequent resurrection. And there's a couple of, well, I could pick a couple of really standout moments. Um, There's a scene between a vulnerable post-resurrection Scott and his former lover, maybe current lover. It's hard to say because Krakoa is all about the free mutant love. Uh, You know, this scene with Emma Frost reminding us of their shared history and the you know, the pain and, and hurt, you know, that Emma felt following Scott's death back in, in I think it was Avengers versus X-Men. Um, and the second is an action scene involving Scott and Sink teaming up in the Mighty Mutant Manor, fantastically rendered by a returned Pepe Larraz. Um, 
it's a great it's a great x-men book but maybe it's a better cyclops book hmm. interesting interesting i mean yeah I, I love the idea of it being a free love island krakoa given that x-men was born out of the 60s so actually it feels very groovy just going back to that era i suppose yeah so. i mean it is i mean it's it's you know the, the 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 love triangle between Jean and Cyclops and Wolverine, and them all living in the same house, you know, on the moon and having adjoining doors to each other's rooms. Yeah, because <laughs> you know? I seem to remember that was very subtle, wasn't it? Back in yeah. those House and Powers that we saw, like the the overhead sort of layout of the uh, of the house, and wasn't it the Wolverine was staying in one room and Jean Grey was in another room and Cyclops was in another room, but like there was a door linking all three. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, they were a bit more yeah. subtle with it in the beginning, certainly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, great. I mean, Cyclops is one of my, it's probably my favorite X-Man character, um, X-Men character. And, you know, he's he's got a short shrift recently, I think, in the Krakoan era. So it's nice to see him uh, back at the fore again. Front and center, essentially. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, yeah, X-Men number seven finishes off then the honourable mentions for the 26th of January. And we're going to go into picks of the week. And, and again, there will be sort of more major spoilers here. So I would buckle in at this point because my pick of the week, I have a lot to say on this. <laughs> and I will have a lot to say in Keith's one as well. But I have a lot to say on this one first. And my pick of the week this week is Saga 55. Yes, you heard that correct. It finally came back. So, Say it again! Saga 55. <laughs> so, of course, art by Fiona Staples and written by Brian K. Vaughan. The Return of the King. At least that's what it felt like in the lead-up to the release of this issue. It's it's hard to remember a longer wait in comics. and I mean, we waited through Doomsday Clock, you know. But <laughs> it's hard to remember a longer wait with more anticipation than this issue. You know, Saga 54, which Vaughan himself called the halfway point of their series, came out in July 2018. Coffee and Heroes was barely up and running as a business when it came out. And it ended on the biggest and cruelest of cliffhangers, so the wait was always going to be big. I mean, this is this is Vicky's favourite comic series. I remember the day Saga 54 came out. I, I read it straight away, and then she came in after work, and I said to her, sit down, have a cup of tea, and sit and read this. She came back to me in actual genuine floods of tears, saying, why did you make me read that? And then I had to break it to her that they were taking a year break, which made her cry even more. <laughs> But yeah, in the, in the editorial of 54, we were told the creative team were going to take a break of a year minimum to recharge the batteries, you know. Given the emotional weight of the end of 54, this was more than understandable. Then a year passed. Then two. Two became three before we finally got an announcement that Saga was on the way back. And now a full three and a half years later, we were able to get our hands on it. You know, was it worth the wait? Could it possibly live up to how much we'd built the series up in our heads? In short, yes. This without a doubt, remains among the very best comics being released today. You know, to to call Saga itself a phenomenon is probably doing a disservice. You know, it's been translated into multiple languages. Graphic novels have sold over 7 million copies worldwide. It's also found an audience outside of just the comic community. You know, it showcases crossover appeal that not many titles do. And best of all, this is all without any hype for an adaptation to another medium. No movie, no TV show. It's just a damn great series. Now, the one thing I would say about 55 is this is not, by any stretch of the imagination, a jumping on point. The plot has progressed so fully that no amount of quick summaries will do it justice. Go back, get the trades, or the hardcovers, or the omnibus, which has all 54 issues, read it, have a blast, then come back here. Done that? Good. 
Right. You only need to open the first page <laughs> to know Saga has lost none of its magic. The first page of any Saga issue has always been important. You know, it's often shocking, it's often funny, but it's always important. In this case, it is almost a mirror image of the opening page of the first issue. Except this time the daughter has replaced the mother. It's a big close-up. It's framed in a similar way. You know, these guys have not missed a step. And with Saga 55, it picks up three years after issue 54. So mother and daughter, Hazel and Alan, are still adjusting to life without Marco. As the now 10-year-old troublemaking daughter experiences the violence of living on a planet plagued with invaders of war. You know, meanwhile, Alana has teamed up with a lovable new character called Bombazine, who bears more than a passing resemblance to her late husband. I will be keeping an eye on this. I am still convinced. As the pair have a surprise business together, Hazel also has an, a new adopted brother, as Prince Robot's son Squire lives with him. However, he's been unable to speak due to the trauma he experienced. What's great as Saga as ever, it has plenty to say. I remember the first chapter's theme being described as, this is how an idea is born. And this time the theme is, this is how an idea survives. We get meditations on grief, on dealing with loss, of being different, of the hostility people will show each other because of that difference, the horrors of war, moving on with life, and of course how to try and raise a child amongst all this madness. And it's all dressed up in a dopey space opera with some of the best world building around. And as ever it would be remiss of me not to mention the art. You know, Fiona Staples has defined the look for Saga so much that her name appears first on the cover. This this happens less frequently in a visual medium-based art form than you'd think. You know, very few writers will let the artist's name go first. But Brian K. Vaughan, I think it was three trades in, roughly 18 issues in, basically said, this is Fiona's title, I just write it. Um, and somehow the art seems have got even better. It's like Staples and Vaughan understood their audience, understood the long wait, and wanted to deliver some of the, their very best work. And damn it, they succeeded. They've also kept the price point at $3 an issue, and that's while delivering a double-sized issue for its return. For me, everything that is great about comics is summed up in this title, and the best part of it is, we have 53 more issues to go. (laughs) And breathe. And uh, yeah, I was delighted to be able to get you to read this. I know you're in the position where you've collected this, and you've got the hardcovers. Pardon me. So it's always one of those things in the comics industry. There was a great thread about it recently, of course, you know, supporting single issues to ensure nice hardcovers come out and stuff like that but saga is nothing if not an absolute sure thing to get hardcovers down the line but at the same time you don't want to miss out story-wise so i was more than happy to throw you our copies without you having to double dip which which i appreciate and i should say you know you say i'm in the position of uh collecting it in hardcover omnibus but you put me in that position so uh (laughs) i did well you very kindly looked after the store on more than one occasion Uh, i like to pay key Keith never asks for anything when he covers the store, but we're always happy to, to give him something. So we don't give him cash. What good's that? We give him comics. We give him hardcovers <laughs> or omnibuses or stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, I seem to remember that's what we did. It was, I think, the three yeah. of them, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. amazing title. And it was genuinely worth the wait. It was so, so good. It's like three and a half years is a long time to wait for anything. Ooh. And it was it was totally worth the wait, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Enjoyed those first two issues. You've 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 said it all, really. Um, it was good to be back, and I'm I'm absolutely tempted to go back and read those three omnibuses again. Those three omnibi. Yeah, we still never fully find out what the <laughs> plural of omnibus is. The the eternal search goes on. So, so yeah, my pick of the week this week was Saga Fifty Five, and that leads us to Keith's pick, which in any other week would have been my pick of the week. But yeah, it was the return of Saga, so it had to be done. 
I was happy to give this one to you if you if you wanted it, but uh, you know, uh, you were you were good enough to to leave it with me because it is my only non Marvel pick uh, of the week, and it is my my pick of the week. Um, this is the Batman Catwoman special, and it is a special book in more than just name. While not its original intention, the book serves as a final work and a tribute to uh, the late John Paul Leon. And there aren't many good reasons for a book's delay, but the pivot to make this book what it is is certainly the greatest amongst them. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, John Paul Leon, celebrated artist with a distinctive style and reportedly one of the nicest guys in the industry, passed away in May last year at the regrettably young age of 49 after a 14-year battle with cancer. Uh, which he kept very quiet. Um, Leon started his career at 16 doing black and white illustrations for TSR's Dungeons and Dragons magazines and studied under the likes of Walt Simonson and Will Eisner at the New York School of Visual Arts. Worked on the likes of Robocop for Dark Horse, The Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix back in 1996, for Marvel, the 12-issue miniseries Earth X in 1999, which was written by Jim Kruger and Alex Ross as well as contributing to regular ongoing series such as multiple Batman-related books, Superman, Challengers of the Unknown. Leon also provided uh, artwork for a number of style guides for um, studio feature film adaptions of DC's properties, including Superman Returns, Batman Begins, Green Lantern, and The Dark Knight. Um, so onto the book itself. Uh, Leon himself draws the first 13 pages with Bernard Chang, Sean Crystal, and Mitch Gerrard's picking up where he left off. It's a delight to see Chang and Crystal and Jared's sort of almost trying to emulate John Paul Leon's style, with like the bold inks and the, the shadowy emphasis, you know. And, you know, while Leon's art definitely stands tall amongst the group, the entire effort is lovely to look at and not, not jarring, you know, the, the way a change in art artists throughout can can be and uh, y yeah I mean Mitch Gerard's work especially blends in nicely despite being very much his, his own style. The story itself is fairly simple on the surface but I've read it it's not very often I get a chance to, to read something a couple of times and uh, I've read this a couple of times and it definitely rewards further reading shall we say you know going over it again each scene depicts a different Christmas day in the life of Selena Kyle. And the, the issue proceeds, you know, through, you know, her early days as an orphan all the way to her marriage to Bruce uh, and into, into old age, you know. And the, yeah, even earlier than that, actually, it starts in a dumpster uh, where there lies a baby, uh, you know. And a year or two later, the baby, now a toddler, is in the orphanage pursuing a cat and you know, and then there's a couple more Christmases and this little girl in the orphanage, an orphanage which is a way an orphanage, is talking to a picture that hangs in the, in the orphanage and that boy in that picture is Bruce Wayne and his parents. And, uh, you know, it pursues on through her, you know, her in the sewers, you know, surrounded by alligators, you know, the, the time she spent with the sewer king, uh, you know, and then in, in juvie and... All of this, you know, through her time then becoming Catwoman, the early years with Batman, all of this sort of stuff, the, the Joker's involved in there, and, you know, it's uh, then her daughter, Helena, and all of this sort of, so it, it, there's so much stuff covered. Um, 
And there, you know, in that respect, there are similarities to the 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 second Batman annual. Yeah, I think uh, it makes a really good counterpoint, especially to that, because it was subtitled. Um, it was essentially first dates, last rites. So it was yeah. sort of showing how they met and how their story would end up. This is sort of everything before they met and everything in between. Yeah, I mean, it's it's holiday-themed, and that structure, I think, maybe captures the, the time passing in a slightly better way than that annual did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I think, you know, Batcat sometimes is a wee bit, it presents Selena and, and Bruce as a wee bit, you know, at a distance a wee bit, and this... There's a real human quality to this, especially as Bruce gets older. You know, we see we see certainly Bruce as older through Selena's eyes, mm-hmm. and you know, as time starts to take its toll on on their on their bodies and on their you know their their person their spirit. You know, um, it's great to see that change. Uh, you know, over the years, you know how how time changes a person and changes their lives. You know, it happens to all of us. And, you know, I guess each page is a snapshot where Selena is at that time. And, and uh, you know, it's it's fun. There's, some of these vignettes are fun and, and some of them are sentimental. There was there was one really poignant one, actually, uh, that had Selena, an elderly Selena, confronting a really elderly Riddler. Yeah. As he attempts to rob an empty bank, uh, obviously suffering from, you know, dementia. Um, dementia. And instead of, you know, beating him or belittling him she takes him back to the hospital you know yeah, it even had that great little art detail where she turned him around and you could basically see his ass out the back of a, a gown it was kind of tragic comedy sort of thing yeah it was and it, it's you know what part of the interesting thing about this is is the the narrative about what happens to certainly heroes but certainly villains as they as they become less relevant yeah you know, it's uh, it's really interesting um, in that respect. You know, the main story is is about forty pages, but that's only about half of the issue. There's there's a whole lot of behind the scenes breakdown pages which show John Paul Leon's processes, as well as a, an essay on his life and career by Michael Davis, who uh, was Milestone Media. And on top of that, there's there's two reprints of Leon's work with. I think on the riddle, which was previously Batman Black and White, it was written by Walter Simonson as well as uh, a Ram V story that's previously presented. And lastly, there's there's uh, eighteen pinups from various artists such as Libra Mayo, Dave Gibbons, Clay Mann, Vanessa Del Rey, uh, some of which are are nods to uh, to or or tributes to to John Paul Leon. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could argue that the second half of the book is largely filler, and the the values and the, the first forty pages. But, you know, for, I suppose, for fans of Batcat or for fans of John Paul Leon himself, there's there's nothing disappointing whenever you pick it up. And, uh, I mean, while Batcat hasn't necessarily been my favourite of Tom King's work, especially in light of Rorschach and, and Supergirl, um, you know, in fact, I was, I was fairly set to jump off Batcat a few months back, if you recall. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad I stuck around, uh, certainly for this, because... I think this has maybe been a highlight of the series so far for me. It, it absolutely tugs at the heartstrings because of King's touching story about how a person and life can change and will change irrevocably through time, as well as the the tragic behind the scenes story. So, 
Yeah, I mean, great book. Um, rest in peace, JPL. Oh, well said, well said. And and I'll very much echo the sentiment of, you know, we don't get the time to read a lot of books twice, but this was one that demanded it for me. It was, mm. the structure of it was clever. The The art was a joy. The moments were, the moments really hit home. And as, as much of it was a meditation on how time changes a person, it was also how circumstances and people will change a person, you know, uh, there's there's loads of great depth to it as well. You know, there's there's loads of different themes running through it, and you know it's it's heartbreaking in places, and it's it's interesting as well. It's Selena. You know, Tom Kane obviously writes her all the way to the end of her life. It's interesting that there's a, a mirror moment that just like Bruce's parents, she dies in an alleyway mm, at yes. the hands of a gunman. You know, there's all yes, this symmetry, yes, uh, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. And again, a, a, an excellent tribute to to John Paul Leon as well. So. It's it's a very early shout for single issue, I think, of the year. You know, in terms of it tells a whole story. You do need to have read what's come before it, certainly, but just that one story I thought was was fantastic. So yeah, great choice. It, it would have been my choice if Saga hadn't come out. So I was uh, I was more than happy to see that you had uh, went for it. I think nice. I think you needed to after your very heavy Marvel honorable mentions. So. <laughs> say nothing seems fair seems fair <laughs> balance balance in all things yeah so that is two picks of the week then for 26th of january saga 55 from myself and the batman Catwoman special from keith so we are going to take a short hiatus and then we are going to be back with the titles from 2nd of february we will get caught up we assure you thanks again for listening Definitely. so i've been alan taylor and this has been keith miller you can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.